just want you to know we're a body of believers who believe in the Lord. We read the word and we simply try and do what it says. I want to personally thank every one of you this morning because as many of you know, my family's really been going through some storms. And you have been a great blessing, a great encouragement. So I thank you. I thank you for the love that you've shown, the service that you've given. It has been a great blessing. Many of you know that my niece passed away recently. It's a very difficult time for us. And so I want to share with you some of the things that I've dealt with, some of the things that I've learned this morning through studying the scriptures and from walking through this life. And I'll give you a spoiler alert. God is good. God is good. I don't think of myself as a clever preacher. I think I just speak what God told me to speak. And this morning I pray that I will not get in the message or get in the way, rather, of the message that he wants you to hear. So if you will please bear with me. Listen generously and keep an open mind. Above all of that, I ask that you open your Bibles this morning. We're going to have several scriptures that will be up here, but there are some that are not. So I encourage you, please, have your own Bible. The first verse that I want to share with you is John chapter 16, verse 33. In this verse it says, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. As I said, these past couple of months my family has seen trouble. We've been dealing with things that weigh heavy on the heart. Things that I don't have an easy answer for, and as a husband... As an uncle, as a son, I can't fix. But God is good. So Jesus tells us plainly, in this world we're going to have trouble. And so I echo that message, we will in fact have trouble. There will be storms in your life. And when I came up with the idea for doing this sermon after Tom asked me to do it, I didn't know that so many people were going to be affected by Hurricane Matthew. I didn't know there was going to be a named storm that would cause so much destruction. And so for some people, this takes on an extra level of meaning. There's going to be storms in your life. Even if you're a born-again Christian, there's going to be storms in your life. Now, there's going to be some people who will tell you otherwise. But those people are lying. Because Jesus says, there will be storms. But take heart. There's always good news because he has overcome the world. So just about a month ago, my 25-year-old niece, Olivia, she passed away. She'd fought a long battle with breast cancer. 
And honestly, there's a part of me that still can't believe that really happened. I honestly don't think I'm really over it. It just seemed too bad to be true. 25 years old. This was a very rare and aggressive tumor. Very fast growing. You could even see it growing with your naked eye. Very fast growing. And so we're hearing about this bad news, and I'm on the phone with Olivia, and she says, you know what, they start talking about calling in hospice. I said, that can't be right. That can't be true. Nicole flew up to Pensacola to be there. I drove up with Anastasia a little bit later, and unfortunately, that was exactly right. She didn't have much time left. Despite all of the prayers, despite the fact that she was just done with the round of chemotherapy, it didn't matter. This tumor continued to grow, and they said there's really nothing else we can do. Couldn't believe it. She spent some time talking to Nicole, and they had some very deep conversations. And by the time I got up to Pensacola, I learned that Olivia told Nicole, she said, you know what I want to have? I want to have a goodbye party. Now, for the longest time, I couldn't even say those words. And this was close to her birthday, so in my mind, I just thought, you know, this is going to be a birthday party. This is what we, that's what I'm going to call it. This is a birthday party. But that's not what Olivia called it. And so she asked Nicole, she said, will you, will you throw this party for me? And the whole thing seemed so surreal. This can't be happening. But it was happening. My wife, she made that party happen. In chronic pain, just weeks away from her own surgery, she planned a beautiful celebration of life with limited resources, 500 miles away from home, in an unfamiliar city. She planned a beautiful celebration of life. And I thought to myself, I chose well. <laughs> I've done good. Thank God for my wife, Nicole. And I really mean that. And so I share this with you. There was, in fact, a celebration of life. I actually have, if you will advance to the next slide, please. Despite the pain that Olivia was in, despite the heavy narcotics, so we can go to the next slide. Just a minute, we'll get there. Despite all of that, Olivia greeted people. She was under excruciating pain, intense narcotics, but she greeted people as they came to pay their respects, to say their goodbyes, to share fond memories. My niece has always been a fan of good food. And so she said she wanted to have all of her favorite foods there, which included crab legs, shrimp, which included meatballs and other things. And so Nicole planned all of this and through this amazing celebration, 
in a hospice room. Balloons, decorations, her favorite color. She even got her a feather boa. She wanted her to know how much she was loved. This was a very difficult time for me. I had to excuse myself from the party. I was overcome by grief. And Olivia had already made fun of me one time for crying. And so I didn't want to spoil the fun. I was focused on the storm. I was focused on the sadness, but my niece was focused on the God who would overcome the world. Six days after this party, she went to be with the Father forever. Now, why do I share that with you? It's such a heavy, heavy story. I share it because I know some of you can relate. I know some of you have already dealt with very similar situations. And for those of you who have not, one day you just might. And through all of that, you've got to know that God is good. You've got to know that Jesus has overcome the world. And so during these times of struggle, it is often natural for us to want to look to the word of God for comfort. And so we go to a very familiar verse, one that I'll share with you, of course, here. It is Jeremiah 29, 11. How many of you know this verse? Many of us do. Jeremiah 29, 11, we're going to read it now. He says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. So when we hear that, we can receive it with joy. This can bring spiritual encouragement to us. But way too often, we sometimes wonder, well, why doesn't that make everything better? I know the word to be true, but why doesn't it make the pain go away? Why do people still suffer? You ever wonder that? Why do bad things happen to good people? And so sometimes when we read a verse, especially this verse, we can take it out of context. Let's not forget that verse 11 of Jeremiah 29 comes right after verses 4 through 10. Let's look at those. Hopefully you have your Bible open. I don't know if you can read that. But here's what it says in verse 4. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. To all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase the number there. Don't decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. Did you catch that? Seventy years? Are you kidding me? 
Some people are hearing this say, I don't have that long. What do you mean 70 years? God is telling them, this is going to take a while. You're going to be dealing with this for a long time. Get used to it. Settle in. Build a house. This is where you live now. And then we get verse 11. They're going through hardship now, but that's not the ultimate plan. The ultimate plan is their deliverance. Now, when we read that in context, does it, does it mess up the verse for you? I certainly hope not because I'm not trying to ruin your favorite verse, but I believe it has more power when you look at it in context. God's people have always dealt with adversity, and God has always brought them through. Why do we think it's going to be any difficult, any different for us? The plan is to bring you back. Bring you back to a perfect relationship with God. So let's look at this. We got two verses. We have John 16 where Jesus is talking and Jeremiah 29 where he's declaring the word of the Lord. So let's look at these two verses and put them together because I think they sync up very well. Jeremiah is telling people the same thing that Jesus is telling them. There's going to be trouble, but God's going to deliver you. So here I am repeating the same thing. You're going to have some trouble in this life. You're going to have some storms that you have to deal with. And there's going to be some people who will say, just give your life to God. You'll be healthy. You'll have money. Everything will just be fine. But that's not the truth. And so when we look at the actual truth of the gospel, I believe it lines up so much better with what we actually deal with in life. Jesus says, there's going to be trouble. Jeremiah says, there's going to be trouble. But that's not the plan. The plan is to give you a hope and a future. Well, how is he going to do that? Because Jesus has overcome the world. And so when we start looking at these two verses, there's a harmony associated with them that I believe can give us true comfort. Don't look for your happiness here on this earth. Look for it in heaven. That's the problem. Why do bad things happen to good people? Because we live in a fallen world. We're looking forward to a perfect place. And that's not here. That's in heaven. That sounds good, right? Yeah, yeah, we know that. But come on, man. How do we deal with the actual storms that are going on? What are we supposed to do? I've got a couple of suggestions. Things that I believe may be of assistance. First, I think we really need to apply God's word correctly. We have the truth of the gospel. We have the history of the people of God. We need to apply it correctly. You know, Hebrews 4, 12, 4 verse 12 says, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. You're familiar with that verse, right? You don't play with sharp swords. Many of you are adults, you know that. You have to teach that to children. No, you don't play with sharp objects. Why not? Because you can get hurt. You could hurt somebody. You could do some damage. To play with the word of God is reckless. 
is dangerous. And so we must apply his word correctly. And we want to offer comfort, not cliches. One expression that I keep hearing. And sadly enough, when you are going through some tough times, that's when you may hear some of the worst advice. You may hear some people telling you some stuff that sounds like it's from God, but it's not. And when they say it to you, they think it's going to help. But lies are of no comfort. And so they say things, well-intentioned, that sound like this. God won't give you more than you can handle. Really? God won't give you any more than you can handle. How many of you heard that? You ever heard that? I'm not going to ask if you said it. Don't worry, I won't ask that question. But if you've heard that, you may be wondering, well, where's the scripture for that? God won't give you any more than you can handle. It sure sounds good, but where do you find that in the Word? Technically, you don't. That's not in the Word. Now, the scripture they may be referring to, let's take a look at that. Chances are they're referring to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. And this verse says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind, and God is faithful. He will not let you be, pay attention, tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can endure it. You realize the guarantee is on temptation and not suffering. That's the guarantee. It is on temptation and not suffering. Why is that important? Because the temptation has eternal consequences. The temptation can separate you from God forever if you fall to it, as opposed to the suffering, which can only hurt you temporarily. And this is way better news. Now, you may be wanting the comfort. You may say, well, I want it to be taken away here as well. But what God gives us is so much more valuable. He says, not only will I limit the temptation, I'm going to limit that which could keep you separated from me forever. I'm also going to provide you a way out. There's your real comfort. And we need to have realistic expectations because sometimes we can feel as though we should be over something before we actually are. Sometimes we can have the expectation that only leads to more guilt on top of the pain that you're already feeling. When we apply God's word correctly, it's so much better. It's so much better than anything we can come up with that's contrary to what he's actually said. You know, Satan would love to make you feel guilty on top of the pain that you're already suffering. If you've suffered a loss, if you've suffered any sort of storm that was bigger than you, the guilt that can associate itself with that is a tool that's often used by Satan. We need to apply the word of God correctly. That's the first point. What's the second point? We need to be there for one another. Does that sound like what the church is supposed to do? We need to be there for one another, amen? One of the best ways to make it through a storm is to not go through it alone. I have a network of brothers that encourage me. 
When I'm going through something, I try to keep them informed. I try to stay in touch with them. I make sure that they know what's happening. They reach out to me. They text me, call me. They pray for me. If you don't have that, I encourage you, you, you need to get connected. You need to have that fellowship with one another. Just recently, when Nicole was going through her surgery, Art and Debbie Baker actually came to the hospital, and they sat with me for hours. That was a great benefit. I was encouraged by that. It's so important to be there for one another. Now, we know that, but sometimes things get in the way, right? We don't always recognize when somebody's going through a storm. But the other thing that I think is even worse is sometimes we don't respect when someone's going through a storm. We either don't recognize it or we don't respect it. And because of that, sometimes we feel isolated. One obstacle for me may not be an obstacle for you. And so while I'm struggling with something, you may look at that and go, what's the big deal? That wouldn't be a problem for me. Do we struggle differently? I think so. Romans 12.4 says, just as each of us has one body and many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so it talks about the different members having different functions, and then we look at 1 Corinthians 12 where it talks about the different parts of the body, and it gives that great example about the eye saying to the foot, I don't need you. And it talks about how each member of the body is still valuable, even though they may have different strengths, different gifts. We read about those concepts, and does it not stand the reason that we would have different struggles as well? I believe that's what I can see in the Word of God, but I know that's what I see in my own life. And so what may be difficult for me may not be difficult for you. What may be a storm for me may not be a storm for you. We are different. We're in different stages of life. We have different goals, desires, different challenges. So for some of you, you may be here this morning, and maybe your challenge is you want to have kids. For some of you, maybe you have kids that you don't want. It happens. Some of you are single and you want desperately to be married. Some of you are married. <laughs> maybe you feel trapped. Maybe you are suffering. And maybe people don't even realize it. We're a body of believers that are called to be there for each other. Storm for me, maybe nothing for you. Isn't that all the more reason to provide encouragement? Maybe you've already been through the very thing that I'm going through and vice versa. Are you not the most qualified to provide comfort and encouragement during those times? Galatians 6.2 says, carry each other's burdens. And this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. You know, you're not meant to live this life alone. You know that? There's some people who want to be isolated. They say, I just need a relationship with God. It's just me and God, I'm good. I don't really need church. I don't. 
I show up from time to time, but I don't really need church. I have a relationship with God already. You realize it doesn't work that way. I have never seen that work for anyone ever. I only see spectacular disaster when people try that. There's almost this cavalier attitude, this, this Lone Ranger Christian mentality. Lone Ranger. You realize that makes no sense? I can never get past the Lone Ranger. You know why? Because he had a sidekick. You're not lone, man. I mean, come on. You got a sidekick. Even more importantly, Jesus didn't do this alone. He had 12 apostles, three he was extra close to. He didn't go through this life alone. When he carried his cross up to Calvary, you realize he had help? You remember that? Jesus didn't carry his cross alone. Now what makes you think you are going to be able to do it if Jesus couldn't do it? Doesn't that just seem silly? We need one another. So one way that we can make it through the storm is that we apply the word of God correctly. The second way is we have to be there for each other. Carry each other's burdens. That's what the Bible calls us to do. And you know what? You guys have done a great job of that. For my family, you have done a great job for that. While Nicole's recovering from a surgery, so many of you brought food, gift cards, cash. When I would see you at church, you would constantly ask me, how's Nicole doing? How's she doing? Well, she's here this morning. She's doing better. We're getting along just fine. I do more cooking at home. I want to make her life a little bit easier, but I want to score some points. <laughs> she's feeling well enough. She'll go in the kitchen. She'll say, here, make this. And I say, okay. She might make some sides because I won't make sides. I cook meat. That's what I do. She gets in there. She does stuff. She helps. She is feeling better. Thank you so much for that encouragement. We really appreciate it. You are carrying our burdens. I want to shift gears just a little bit. Just a little bit. Because right now we've discussed storms that are really obvious and apparent. When a tragedy happens, when surgery is coming up, when you've lost someone, everyone sort of gets it. But there are some other storms that you may be going through that nobody knows. Maybe it's depression. Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe it's addiction. Maybe it's something you just feel like, you know what, I can't bring that to these people. They wouldn't understand. They'd probably only judge me. Every time I see them, they all look so well put together. Maybe that's you. Maybe your family looks fine on the outside, but on the inside, it's falling apart. See, I can't talk to anybody at that church. And so when you show up, you put on a face. You dress up real nice, you put on a tie nice dress, and everyone you meet in the foyer, you tell them you're fine. Truth is, you're not fine. Church, this is why we're here. 
those storms, even if they're not obvious to other people, are just as real. Just as hurtful and need to be treated just the same way. I want you to know that we have a God who is the great physician. Amen? He is the great physician, and he has come to heal. He has come to save, and as his people, we are to be about his business. And so this church is not a meeting place. It's not a clubhouse. It's not a country club. It's more like a hospital. This is where you come for spiritual healing. Some of you are sin sick. Some of you need the healing that only God can provide. This is the place to bring that. These are the body of believers who want to pray for you, who want to encourage you. You don't have to pretend. You don't have to be afraid of judgment. And I honestly believe that you don't have to be afraid of getting cliches. You can get the truth of the gospel. Can we do that for each other? Can we? I certainly hope so. We need to lean on what God has given us. And so when we hear that, some people who may be outside of the church, they say, well, you know, you Christians just use God as a crutch. You ever heard that? You just use God as a crutch, and they say it like it's a bad thing. No, you don't understand. He's not a crutch. He's more like a gurney. Get all the way on. Don't go limping around trying to hold on to a little bit of Jesus and do everything else on your own. Get on the stretcher. We call that surrender. That's when that healing really starts. As long as you're trying to hold on and do it yourself, because most of the time we feel like we got it, right? How you doing? Man, I'm, I'm making it. Trying to maintain. I'm hanging in there. I think I got this for the most part. No, you don't. You don't got it. Jesus has got it. And we need to give it to him. We need to surrender fully to him and allow him to transform our lives. You know you can't transform your own life, right? You know that? I hope you know that. And here's the other part. I'm going to say this. This ain't in my notes, but I'm going to say it anyway. You can't transform someone else before you bring them to Christ. Now, why is that important? Because if you're reaching out to somebody and they don't have Jesus, they shouldn't act like they have Jesus. Don't try and clean them up before you bring them to church. If they don't have Jesus, sin rules their life. Why do we expect them to look like us if they're not us? Why do we expect them to behave like Christ if they don't have Christ? It's kind of silly. I heard DeMar Elam say that you can't clean a fish until you catch it. And I agree with that completely. Matthew 9, 12 says, it's not the healthy but the sick who need a doctor. And again, some of you are sin sick. This is where you belong. This church is for those who are sin sick. Now, some of you sit here and say, you know what, actually, I'm doing pretty good. Honestly, spiritually, I think I'm doing fine. Well, 
then please do what we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4. You need to minister to those who are not doing well. That's what we've been called to do. Go ahead and wrap this sermon up. I have a story I want to share with you as we conclude. Long time ago, I worked a job where I was able to go out for a company celebration. This company celebration included going out on dinner cruise. Sounded like fun because there's going to be free food. That's what I'm all about. There's also going to be some music. There's going to be, uh, you know, just a great celebration. Dinner cruise. Free food, I'm in. This wasn't the kind of dinner cruise that just stayed in the bay, though. Okay? This one went out far. I didn't know that at the time. They went all the way out to international waters. Now, we've been talking about through the storm. When this boat went out in the international waters, that water got real deep. Those waves started getting real big, and I felt like I was on this boat. <laughs> That's not the boat, but I felt like I was on that boat. And so when those waves got really rough, I got really sick. I, got, I get motion sickness. I got seasick as soon as we got out in the deep water. So I'd had a little bit of dinner. This boat's rocking all over the place. And I start feeling not right. And so I go up on the upper deck thinking maybe the fresh air is going to help. But it didn't. Some of you are already shaking your head. You know, it didn't. I was hoping I could keep my dinner down. I didn't. <laughs> and so for about the next four hours, I'm miserable on this boat, clinging to the side of the rail, fully committed. I won't go into details, but I was not able to leave the edge of that boat. You know what I'm putting down? You know what I'm saying? And so I'm there, and I'm miserable. I'm exhausted. I'm dehydrated. My legs are weak. I got nothing left in me. And I'm wobbly, and I wanted nothing more to be off that boat. I'm looking at those waves, and they're going up and down, and I'm going down, and I'm going up, and I am staggering and stumbling all over the place, miserable on the side of this boat, and I'm clinging to this rail, desperately trying to feel better. I would have done anything to make it stop. There's one thing I wasn't willing to do. Because as bad as I felt with the wind and the waves on the boat, I did not jump off the boat. <laughs> because I knew if I'm miserable now, I'll be more miserable in that water. The application is obvious. Some of you are being tossed around. Some of you are miserable. You're tired. You're exhausted. The church, if you have Jesus and you think you're miserable dealing with this life with Jesus, you'd be so much more miserable to do it without him. Now, obviously, I'm standing here today, right? So you know how the story ended. Obviously, I made it back. The boat didn't sink. 
I didn't fall overboard, and I certainly didn't jump. That boat got me back to solid ground. And I was so thankful to be back on some solid ground. God will do the same thing for you. He will take you through those storms. He will take you through those waves, and he will bring you back to solid ground. I got one last verse I want us to look at. Hebrews 10.36 says, you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. Perseverance, church. That's how we make it through the storm. Now, soon we're going to sing a song of invitation. We're going to stand and sing, and if you have any need, I'm going to ask you to come forward. If you need prayers, need to confess, want to be baptized, place membership, I encourage you to come forward. But let's also be honest. Let's be realistic this morning. There's some people who need to come forward that are neither willing nor able. And if you're in that situation, I don't want you to go home in the same state that you came here in. And so what I'm going to ask you to do, again, you can either come forward or you can make a commitment to find a brother, to find a sister, and ask them to pray for you. How many elders we have in here this morning? All right, we got a couple. Look around, look around. How many elders do we have? Hold your hands up, please. Find one of these brothers. Talk to him. Say, you know what, this is what's going on in my life. Some of you say, you know what, man, I'm not willing to take that walk of shame. I don't want to go down front. Everybody's going to be looking at me. I understand that. But you need Jesus. Come to him. Don't let anything stand in your way. So let's go ahead and sing.